Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, the place for learning about the world of alternative passive investments so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Before we get to our guest today, if you're ready to kick that billable hour to the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint. That will also get you access to the opportunity to partner with us on our next passive commercial real estate investment. In just a short time, you can invest right alongside with me on a stable cash flowing apartment community or RV park. Today, let's talk about a very common question I get when someone books their first Freedom Accelerator call. And that is simply, how do I get started investing in real estate? Now look, every person's situation is unique. And on our call, we'll talk about your unique circumstances, your finances, your experience, and your goals. But for most of us who have a high paying W-2 career in law, medicine, or even real estate agents with you know, occasional windfalls, we're professionals, we're good at what we do, and we get paid well for it. But what we don't have is time. We don't have time to mess around with an HGTV fix and flip. We don't have time to put a team together, schmooze with brokers, find and vet a property, then manage tenants, toilets, and trash. So for those folks, the answer to how do I get started is to invest passively in commercial real estate. The time commitment is low. The deals are passive. The returns are phenomenal. You can start buying back your time. Relatedly, another question that comes up is, should I quit my job? Again, every person and situation is unique, but typically the answer is no. And you certainly don't need to quit your career to invest in real estate. And you should leverage your active income that you've worked so hard to attain and utilize it to invest in creating multiple passive income streams. The key there is to have some self-restraint. And a lot of us don't have it. Instead of buying that new five series, buy some equity in an apartment building that will pour cash flow into your pocket and double your money in two to five years. The caveat if you're completely miserable and are truly unhappy, we'll need to take a little bit of a deeper dive. Our awesome guest today, Monique Holm, shared a story where she was so unhappy working as an attorney that when the doctor told her she needed surgery, she was thankful because at least she wouldn't have to go back to work at her law firm for a while. Wow. And if your situation is something like that, Let's chat about how we can get you out sooner. Monique Holm is a fully recovered attorney, an educator, and an advocate for women to create passive income streams through real estate investing. She's the founder of the Real Estate Investor Goddesses, a number one best-selling author, and the host of the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I can't wait to share her interview with y'all. Let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. The real estate investor goddess Monique Holm. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Seth. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time coming. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Tell me what's your story and feel free to take it back as, as far as you want. 
Sure. So my story in real estate, I, I'm an attorney and growing up, the only thing I'd ever been taught about real estate was that you should buy your own home. And I went to do that. This was back in 2005. I'd been working for a while. I was like, okay, I have, I did the college law school, law firm job, partnership track, all the things. I guess now I should buy a house. But I live in LA, which is such an expensive market. And a semi-decent starter home was upwards of $600,000, $700,000. And even though I wasn't, you know, had the okay, decent you know, law firm salary, it wasn't enough for me to buy a house by myself. So a, a friend of mine, actually from law school, um, said, why don't we buy a house together? We'll buy a duplex. You would live on one side, I'd live on the other side. And instead of finding a property with two equal sides, we ended up finding uh, this beautiful old craftsman that had a larger downstairs unit. There was a two bedroom unit upstairs and then this back house that was a, had a, was a one bedroom converted garage. And um, so we each took a bedroom in a larger unit and ended up renting out the upstairs, renting out the back house, even rented out our basement. And I started house hacking before I knew that was a thing. I was just like, this is sweet. These people are like my mortgage. This is great. And I have the tax benefit. So I was like, yeah, awesome. I still didn't think of it as something to replace my income. I didn't think of it as anything to do further. It was just, well, this is a really cool way that I, I have my housing paid for. Then when I met my husband, he had a duplex and we ended up getting a single family rental together after 2008 the market crashed. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll go back a little bit because I think you had sent some questions in advance. And one of your questions was like, you know, about leaving law because I'm, I'm no longer practicing. I, um, I was not happy as a lawyer. Uh, I, just to give a, a little sample of how unhappy I was. Remember one Tuesday morning, I've been having like really bad stomach pains for a while. So I, I went to the ER and when the doctor told me that my appendix had ruptured and I'd be in the hospital for several days, ended up being in the hospital for nine days. And then I'd have at least 30 days afterwards to recover. My first thought when he told me that was, oh, thank God, I don't have to go to work for at least 30 days. <laughs> and my next thought was, oh, that's bad because I right. I knew I was unhappy I didn't realize quite how miserable I was until that moment and it was frustrating because I'd done like everything right I'd followed you know I don't know if you had the same message my parents gave me but like that's what you good successful kids do they go to school they go to grad school they get that fancy job and then they should be deliriously happy but I was miserable um so I, I knew I needed another path and real estate was just like accidental. Um, but I, and then, but I didn't leave the law right away. Even after that, I left that law firm and then I went to another big law firm. Then I went to a small law firm and I was just trying to find a place in law that I would be happy. And I wasn't happy in that small firm. I was probably I was like, wow, I work more, get paid less. <laughs> it was a little better. I mean, I'm more uh, 
seasoned. I was getting to do better cases, but I still didn't love it. But I wasn't quite as miserable as I was when I was in the hospital, but I, I wasn't super happy. But I probably would have stayed because I was pregnant and I, we we're going to have a kid and have a mouth to feed. And uh, when I'm about five and a half months pregnant, a week after I told my boss I was expecting, he called me into his office. I was expecting a bonus because I had been working so hard. Instead, I got fired. So <laughs> uh, that was not a welcome surprise, although it did end up being a really big gift. Did not feel that way. But I, so since I was quite pregnant, I decided I'd wait until after I gave birth and then had the short maternity period. Then I would look for another job. My daughter ended up being born in late August of 2008. Actually, when we're filming this today, it's her 13th birthday. But she was born in late August of 2008. And then uh, within a month, the uh, markets were in free fall and the economy exploded and there was the job market disappeared. And it was not a time to be <laughs> trying to find a new job. Um, so I, was newborn, I had a newborn, I was unemployed. And I, but we, we had some real estate that helped us. So we ended up selling one of the duplexes and then we started to flip houses when properties were on sale. Your, your podcast about passive income, the, Flipping is not really passive income, it's active income. And after a while, 2015, started, it was getting more and more competitive. Houses were less and less on sale and it was, it's not passive. And I was really wanting to have some passive income. So we started looking at buying a fourplex in LA. But LA is so expensive. It was, you know, we're looking at $2 million for a fourplex with zero cash flow. You'll be lucky to cash flow. Yeah. Often there was negative cash flow. And I, so I ended up at that point being introduced to a mutual friend to Robert Helms, who's the host of the Real Estate Guys radio podcast. Um, I remember it's October 15th and our, our friend said, you know, Robert's going to be in, um, in LA tomorrow night, come out to dinner. So we're at dinner. And I was telling Robert, he asked what I was doing, I taught him about the flipping and how that was getting more com competitive and looking for this fourplex. And he said, um, you know, Monique, I would say, you know, he says, LA is a really expensive market. I always say, live where you want to live, invest where the numbers make sense. And I went, Oh, <laughs> until he told me that, I assumed I had to invest where I could touch my, pro like drive to my property, touch it, self-manage it. I, it didn't occur to me that I could invest outside of where I live. So that literally opened up the world to me. And the next thing he said was, you can get that fourplex, but you'll be limited to your own capital and credit. Alternatively, you can bring a group of investors together and you can get 100 or 200 units. And he started telling me about the benefits of that. <laughs> my brain I was like what that's a yeah. thing people can do like I, I, I thought you had to be a billionaire to do that it never occurred to me that yeah. regular people could do that and I it's like I had this full by like yes I want to do that I want to learn how to do that and I want to be around people who think that's normal because until then everyone around me thought the fourplex was a big deal nobody nobody would even consider anything like that so I went to learn how to do that, how to syndicate, bring groups of investors together. And, and that's 
So in 2016, I started, I went to my first syndication seminar. The beginning of the year, we had two rental doors. By the end of that year, through you know, partnering with others, we had over a thousand. Wow. 2012. So in that one year, and we've just been at it since. That's awesome. There, there's so much to unpack there. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, the first note I made was that you were, you were happy that you're going to have time off from being, being in the hospital and being sick. <laughs> like, I was thrilled. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't even that. I was just like, you might as well have told me I won the lottery. Like that's how excited I was. Right. And I remember being in the hospital bed going, okay, I got rid of my appendix. I was like, do I need a spleen? Like, yeah. I like tonsils. Is there, is there, I know I don't need tonsils. Is there, is there anything <laughs> like, else you can take from me so that I, I know, can like, I could get more time off. I was like, tonsils, yes. <laughs> I was yeah. like, gallbladder, sweet. Are those useful? Um, <laughs> I was ready to get rid of everything if I could just yeah. not have to go back to work. That's- yeah, I mean, so I speak with with attorneys, some of them are listening right now. And, you know, I, I try to say, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to walk away. I mean, some people are unhappy, but you need to make a, an honest evaluation of do you really want to turn away from your career and just jump straight in? Or do you think you can keep making some good money, maybe invest passively, and then maybe if you have a, a little bit of a passion for that, maybe you transition to the active side of real estate investing, something like that. Um, but if they're in the mindset situation that you are in, that's an absolute, all right, let's figure out a way to, to get you out now. If, if you're hoping for surgery rather than going to work, that's a big red flag, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. You think? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and, and I totally, you know, we're cut from the same cloth as far as, you know, growing up and just thinking, you know, real estate investing is owning your own house. Like that's basically as far as it gets. And we weren't really, um, you know, born to a place where business and entrepreneurship and, and real estate investing were at the forefront. It was more like, what's the best job you can get. And I always say like, you know, for me, it was becoming a doctor first and that didn't work out. And then I became a lawyer and it took me a long time to figure out that there's something else out there other than, you know, working nine to five till 65, which it's definitely not nine to five. It's usually eight to eight or something like that. I know. Um, yeah. It, it, it's absolutely insane, but it's awesome that you made that journey and you're a, a fully recovered uh, big law firm attorney at this point and doing awesome things in real estate. Um, is there anything about your law practice that you did like? What did I like? Um, <laughs> you, you asked that question. I was like, <laughs> I did actually. I liked my I like I liked a lot of my the fellow my my fellow associates and people that I sure. I got to you know I liked them as people. I liked I actually liked depositions. I liked where I got to interact with clients. I I was big law. I went to trial once. I liked trial, but we did you know we did never ever ever right. made it to trial. Um, we did, we had one case where we went to trial. That was, that was fun. So where I got to interact with, um, you know, with others, but so much of my practice was discovery and alone in my office doing, mm-hmm. you know, document reviews or writing briefs or, you know, and that was, that just was crushing my soul. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get rewarded by getting fired while you're pregnant. <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of reward you can expect. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if everyone should expect that. That was, that was pretty ex- extreme, but 
Yeah. And it, yeah. you know what? He really did give me the best gift ever because yeah. I probably would have stayed and I would have been miserable. And now I love my life and yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for it. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. And another thing I heard in your story was that, you know, once that happened, you had already invested in real estate a little bit and that was kind of those real estate investments kind of shouldered a little bit of the, the burden, a little bit of the blow from, you know, not having that active income. Is, is that a fair assessment? All of it actually, yeah. because what happened in 2008, um, so I'd lost my job and then my husband, he was self-employed as a graphic designer. He had one major client, he did music industry, graphic design, a big, um, a company that that gave him 90% of his business well at when the crash they stopped giving him business and so his income went down 90% you know I had no income and then we had you know it was we were we had some savings and 401k but it was really the real estate that saved our butts yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I always preach is, you know, everybody thinks they have a great job, a great one single active income stream, and they think they're fine, but that's one of the riskiest places you can be in. If you just have that singular um, stream of income from your active job, that can go away just like that. No matter how secure you feel, you know, uh, a pandemic can hit, uh, anything can happen. And yeah. then you have, have nothing, but luckily you had already discovered real estate investing and diversified a little bit. It was a blessing. But I say that financial stability is like a table and each, each leg of that table is a stream of income. Most of, most of us are taught to have one leg only, right? And that, you know, and they're like, well, we have a really big, strong leg. I want to do a really, really good job. <laughs> but if you lose that leg because something happens to you, you can't work um, or you, you get fired or anything happens, you lose that leg, there goes your table. So in order to really be financially secure, you need to have lots of legs, mostly passive. So you lose a leg. All right. You still got plenty of other legs to hold you up. Yeah. I love that. love that analogy. Um, another big thing for me that you mentioned was, you know, that regular people can buy apartment buildings and that's, you know, whether you're on the active side or the passive side of these syndications, I think a lot of people, when, you know, they first start thinking about investing in real estate, they think about the fixing and flipping. They think about wholesaling, maybe buying a single family rental. They don't think that they can get involved in commercial real estate. And, you know, being a, being a syndicator yourself, you, you've probably come across that quite a bit. I have. I wish that I had discovered it so much earlier as a passive. So I wish I discovered it when I was working as a lawyer and I had extra income that I could have put into those types of, um, into those types of deals. I would have been a lot better off when I got fired um, than, than, I, than I wasn't. It was a really tough financial time. And a lot of the active, you know, a lot of people will assume that if you're going to be active, so if you're flipping or you buy your own house or you're um, to, to rent out and you're doing all the work and you're, you know, you're fixing it up and you're getting the calls in the middle of the night for about toilets and you're doing all that, you're going to make more money than if you were to passively invest in something. But what I discovered, especially if people are investing in, if they live, um, they're investing where they live and they live in expensive markets. I did my, the passive, um, investments are so much more lucrative than a lot of our active deals were. I lived in LA, we had like no cash flow. So the properties right. I had here, they had a lot of equity. 
Um, one of them had negative cash flow. Another one had like just barely paid for itself. So I had real estate that we could, we were able to tap into the equibase selling, but they were not giving us streams of income. I thought that was normal because that's how it is here. But the um, with these passive deals, they were they, they can cash flow quite a bit. They can do, and you're not working for it. So I wish I'd I'd known about that if I'd started like ten you know, years earlier, it's been a very different scenario. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and they are truly passive investments. I mean, you have to do a little bit of work at the beginning to, you know, do your due diligence on the the sponsors, the the market and the deal. But after that, I mean, it is truly passive. You're not worrying about managing contractors or tenants or property managers or fixing things. It's completely passive. It's in somebody else's hands and you literally just collect the checks. And when you're yeah. a busy professional, like an attorney or a doctor or someone like that, and maybe real estate is not something that you absolutely love. It's more of a vehicle that you want to get into to invest and to create multiple streams of income for yourself. That's probably the best way to go, it, especially for someone that um, doesn't fail the, the gallbladder test. Like, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. If they're not um, extremely if you'd rather happy be in, in, career, the, in the hospital than at, than at work, then you probably should rethink what you're doing for work yeah for sure definitely need to yeah make an honest uh, evaluation on that but yeah it comes down to a lot of it comes down to time and capital right how much time do you have to invest and how much capital do you have if you have a little bit of time and a lot of capital there's a lot of things you can do and investing passively is probably best but if you have a lot of time and just a little bit of capital well, we're gonna to have to find something find something else maybe an active way to get you started maybe you house hack into a duplex or something like that, where it doesn't cost a ton of money to get into. Maybe you're putting that three, three and a half percent down. That's still a lot out here in Southern California, but um, in other <laughs> places, at least. <laughs> yeah. In most of the country, that's, that, that's not so crazy. Yeah. yeah I've told my, my story before. I didn't go into specifics, but they were like, and I was like, yeah, I was, you know, I had a decent six figure income. And I couldn't afford a house. And they're like, how could you not afford that? I was like, what were you doing? I was like, that was like $700,000. Yeah. I'm in California. Did you not, do you not remember that? I'm in California. It's like, it where I am. There's people with, who live in areas where you could get a $70,000 house. They're like, how could you not afford a house? Yeah. And then, and then you buy a, a rental property and it only loses a little bit of money every month. Yeah. So, it's a, so it's a great investment. <laughs> Like I only have to pay a hundred dollars a month on this month. So yeah, it's great. It's it's insanity. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit more about what your what your current business looks like. Yeah. So um, on the investing side, what we've started really most of our business now is in on the industrial side. So we do some multifamily, and we've had some other investments, but. And I'd started a multifamily and in 20, late 2018, early 2019, I'd sold a couple of properties, a couple uh, apartment buildings that I'd purchased in 2016 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they are, they were, one was like B minus, the other one was like C minus, you know it's very yeah. it was on the on the edge there but um not 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 great buildings but we um and we were like we got approached by a 1031 exchange buyer 
from our, you know, through our property manager or somebody who wanted to buy them, he needed to put them into some properties. And so it's like, so what are you, you know, what's the price that you're, you're going to sell it at? And we're like, okay, well, we need to get our investors back the return. So we, we just like threw out this like crazy price. I was like, well, we can just throw out this price and we can always like negotiate down, but we'll give some wiggle room. Uh, I was like selling these at, at a four cap. Four cap, Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> C minus class. Okay, um, and the guy took it. Yeah, <laughs> so, like take it, take it. And he accepted. He accepted <laughs> the deal. So we we sold these properties at a four cap, which was great. We were happy, very relieved. Our investors were happy. But it and I was it was great as a seller. It scared the poop out of me as a buyer because I'm like, I do not want to compete against people who are willing to pay that much. Yeah. It is such a seller's market. And I don't like being a buyer in a seller's market. I don't want to go where the herds are going. I wanted to look for something else, something that was not quite so crazy. We have, we have gotten uh, multifamily deals since there were trough market. They, the, the numbers made sense, but we've been wary of that. So we started to look into other asset classes, the where else we could go that wasn't, that they didn't have quite the feeding frenzy. And we ended up in industrial seeing this increasing need for that type of um, real estate. So even though certain commercial real estate like retail or office was starting to hurt, is the more things went online, you know, online retailers, they need industrial space. They need data centers and warehouses and distribution centers. And, and there's still manufacturing that happens in this country and they need industrial space. And there's there's a lot of need for that type of health, for that type of real estate. It actually is uh, that real industrial did the best in 2020, um, you know, of, of, other, of all the, the types of real estate. So, that's where we've been uh, focused on in the past uh, past few years. That's awesome. Um, smart money has been in, in industrial for a long time. I mean, you see, uh, you see a lot of family offices and institutional money have invested in industrial properties for, for decades. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's not quite as competitive because it's hard for people to wrap their minds around, you know, retail level investors, the first thing they think of, is multifamily because we've all lived in an apartment building. We all, all lived in a condo or something like that. So we can wrap our heads around it. Or we start as a small investor investing in single family and then a duplex and then a fourplex and then a 30 unit. And it's just kind of the natural progression. But if you're not really kind of deeply involved in the real estate industry, industrial just kind of flies over your head. You don't think about warehouses and data centers and um, cold storage and, and things like yeah. that. Um, even though those are those are thriving right now, um, and we haven't had anyone really talk about that on this show yet. Um, how did those returns? That, well, first, do you syndicate those deals? Or are you buying those? We do. Yeah, okay. we syndicate, and a lot of the. So I'll I'll tell you where even within that that asset we have a very niche niche way of investing called a sale leaseback, which basically means that there is a company that has a facility that they're using. They want to sell it to get the equity out, but they still want to use it. So they sell it and then they lease it right back. They go from being the owner to the tenant. Um, they, they do that. Why they do that is because they want, the, um, they want to be able to tap to get the equity out. Why we do it 
is because for a few reasons. One, they have triple net leases. So that means they pay rent, plus they pay all the property taxes, they pay all the insurance, and they pay all the maintenance. So there's an issue with the roof, they'll fix the roof. There's an issue with their toilet, they'll fix their toilets. They don't have any of those expenses. Our expense lines, like our, our P&Ls are very short. Our, expense, our only expense is our uh, debt service, they're paying on the loan, that's it. Otherwise they pay all the other expenses. We are rent, so we know we have a 20 year lease with them usually, built-in rent increases every year goes up 2%. We know exactly what the income's gonna be, we know exactly what our expenses are. And what we do, you were talking about how institutional buyers have been all about industrial forever. We season that lease four to six years and we sell it to an institutional buyer. And who will, they don't do the sale lease backs, but they'll buy these, um, these industrial properties with a tenant that has a great tenant that's four, four or six years of steady payment history that has, um, you know, 16, 15 years left, left on a lease. So they'll buy those all day, every day. And the returns are very similar to multifamily for passive. So, you know, you're looking at annualized returns in the high teens, like low 20s, usually 8 to 10, 11, 12% cash on cash returns. So great returns, uh, but very few moving parts. The, the, big, the, the one big risk is the company. You don't want to lose that tenant because they, uh, you, you can find new industrial tents, but it's not like an apartment where there's a line of people trying to get uh, into those types of deals. It's not every company that will take on 60,000 60, square feet of industrial space. So we just do, a, most of our due diligence is focused on the, the health of the company itself. And our companies I think are, the well, deal we just closed on it's a 150 year old company it's like not going anywhere it's like in line for billions of dollars of uh, government money from from the new uh new infrastructure bill so that it's like these company but the youngest company i think we we've done one it's 17 year old company these are just like solid most of them are just solid companies um food like a frozen pie manufacturer organic baby food yeah. um face of like a manufacturer of um, skincare and hair care products, uh, fence companies, of uh, tech companies. This one is like this, they do steam engines. And so it's just, you know, foam parts. <laughs> it's just it's like steady companies, right. uh, great tenants, and there no work to be done, no fixing up of the place. There's nothing you have to do because they're already in there. Um, and then we just, we're basically season the lease and sell it. Yeah, I absolutely love that business model. I mean, it's triple net and you're getting a, so that takes a lot of kind of the unknowns off the table because no matter what those unknowns are, the tenant's going to pay for them. It, it's, yep. it's not on you, it's on the tenant. And the biggest risk with, you know, any sort of building like that, if it's a, you know, a 60,000 square foot industrial building or, you know, a 25,000 square foot office building where one tenant or two tenants are taking up all the space, it's a big risk is the tenant leaving. Um, and you're taking a lot of that risk off the table because you're doing that sell lease back. So it's going to be a brand new lease as soon as you buy the property. So they're locked in for the long term. They're locked in for whatever it is, 10, 15, yeah. 20 years. 
um, which is incredible. You take that risk off the table. And, and then again, having that exit strategy because of the, the institutional buyers um, that, that love these types of assets, as long as they have you know, a decent amount of lease term left in the building, they love it. And, and they don't need to see crazy returns either. You know, they don't, no. they don't need to see the returns that you're giving your investors. They need to see maybe half of that <laughs> and they're happy with it. Yeah. So pretty awesome. Oh, we love these. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. I, I really wanted to jump into this. Um, so, you know, obviously you're a strong female and this is a, a male dominated industry, real estate that is. I'm sure you've encountered some extra layers of opposition and I just love to hear about, you know, how you've overcome that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, I have the investment side and the other side of education and mentorship business for women, real estate investor goddesses, which I created because I was seeing it so male dominated. I would go to conferences, you know, 90 plus percent of the room was men. I joined the high-end mastermind of the only woman, 19 men. So I was like, I thought women need to be in, brought into this room, brought into the, into this game. And I think it's great for women, help you know, embrace that wealth gap and income gap. But many, many women are not taught about it. Uh, but in terms of my experience as a woman in this field, I have to say, I feel like I've been able to use it uh, to help me. So I know, and when, you know, when I've created real estate investor gossip, it's not because I'm anti-men. I love men. my main business partner, my husband. And, and um, it's just that because I stand out <laughs> in a room, not but I'm female and I'm, I'm black. So for two reasons, I'm like a unicorn in the, in the room. <laughs> um, they're like, wait, what's that unicorn doing here? Kind of like walking, walking through. I was, I was memorable. So I could use not being Waldo, not blending in um, to, and I think that that helped me create my awareness and the brand. And then I, I really, I just, focused on women as investors, women who were not being courted by most people. So as I was uh, speaking to them, many of whom, like me, until I happened to connect um, to somebody through a friend who, who told me about syndications, so many women had never heard, they'd never heard about it. And when they did, they went, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to get into that. So it's like by focusing on women, was able to build my my investor network a lot more quickly and there and people have just found me men and women but but mostly mostly women yeah i love that you've been able to leverage that to your advantage um you know not using it as like a crutch or something but instead you're like you know what this is awesome this is an opportunity to stand out in the crowd to talk to that mar market and help them and teach them and, you know, get them to invest and just show them, you know, there's another way, which is, you know, the general message is we're trying to get that out to everyone. Like, Hey, you can invest in commercial real estate um, and you can do it even passively. You can do it on the side. You don't have to quit your career. And yeah. that's awesome that you're exposing women um, to that as well, because a lot of people, you know, like you said, it's, you know, a lot of the marketing from these folks isn't geared towards women because they just kind of forget about 
that that whole segment. And that's awesome yeah. that you've been able to to reach them and and focus your marketing and focus your um, focus your help uh, to help them. It's worked out well. Yeah, but I, I just I've used it. I, yeah, I could have used it as an excuse, like oh, I'm a different. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> it's like my superpower. <laughs> so yeah, I just use awesome. it. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, before we jump into the Freedom Four, maybe have one last golden nugget for our listeners. Last golden nugget. Well, the the advice I would give is to just, I mean, I'm probably speaking to the choir because you're here listening to this podcast, but continue to get educated and learn, learn so that you can make educated decisions to get, uh, to get into the game. I didn't know what I didn't know when I got started. And partly it was, I made mistakes, but even more than the mistakes I made were the opportunities that I missed because I didn't even know they were there and realized they were possible. Uh, like apartment buildings. Like I was like, I didn't know that was a thing as <laughs> education. Um, even when I started, I really just knew you could do conventional financing or all cash. So mostly we were buying properties all cash because we were self-employed. It was hard to get conventional financing. Yeah. I didn't even know about hard money lenders. I didn't know that there were other ways to, to play in this game. So the more you get educated, the more opportunities show up for you and the, the faster you can grow. Yeah, I love that. It's a classic case of you just don't know what you don't know. So you've, you've got to get educated and then it'll just kind of open your mind up to all these different things. And you can see the pathway as to how these folks have done it because you're like, yes. oh, well, they just knew something I just didn't learn yet. And now, now yeah. that I know it, here I come. <laughs> or you think you know something that just uh, was it the Mark Twain, Mark Twain quote. It's not what you it's not what you don't know that will hurt you. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So it's like those beliefs, like I thought I had to invest where I lived. Like I just didn't think about the fact that I could invest in other markets. And so I had this myth about, and I know a lot of people believe that too. So there are all of these things that we think are true or that we, if we're going to invest in real estate, we're going to have to deal with tenants. We're going to have to be the ones that get the calls. We're going to have to be the ones that go and fix the toilets and all those things. And there are all, all these other ways you can invest where you don't have to do any of that stuff. So partly it's also too to bust all these myths that we have that limit us. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? The best thing I do, so I have a morning ritual that I do with meditation, working out, breathing exercises, and this might be TMI, but I have a, <laughs> I have a morning um, orgasmic manifestation practice. My husband, we meet in the bedroom and, um, and we just, you know, it's like making love every day, but orgasm is actually your most attractive state is attractive in terms of law of attraction attractive yeah and um and we use it plus it I makes it. us better as a part as a couple so that's what i do i love it it taps right into us as humans we're, we're here to reproduce <laughs> <laughs> we're here to create so yeah. <laughs> yeah. um with with all your success what is one limiting belief that you've crushed along the way and how did you do it one limiting belief. Um, 
you know, we you had kind of talked about it before, but the belief that I was in any way limited by my identity, woman, person of color. And so how I, how I did it was I just, you know, the quote was like, what if what you think of as your biggest weakness is actually a superpower? And I just, it's like, okay, I'm just going to own this and use it as a superpower. And there are superpowers that we as women have in terms of our intuition and, and other ways in which we, we are, we can show up. And I just use, yeah, I use my differences as this something to, to help me versus something that would limit me. Love it. Love it. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom. Mm. Educate yourself get educated so start keep keep learning but then but take education and then take action so right. it's like educated for effective action so get a piece of get educated and then take an actionable step from what you've learned and put it implemented immediately awesome awesome last but not least how has passive income made your life better oh my gosh <laughs> in every way i just come back from three weeks in europe that uh so as i was and i was like off so i also have my business which is mostly works without me uh, my, my team was off doing the stuff my real estate's working doing their things and this past year during the pandemic and the economic crisis was so different from 2008 it's because we have all of these legs on my table now so i just was not I had no fear, no anxiety. We were, we were really um, set up and secure. So that's just me. It's given us options. It's given us freedom. It's given us peace of mind. So many ways in which passive income has helped. Yeah. Come a long way since the, 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 the big law firm, unhappy life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would never want to be in, in the hospital <laughs> for anymore. All of my organs are staying put right now. <laughs> there, there we go. Keep, keep, keep all you got. Yeah. Monique, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? The best place is go to reigoddesses.com. Uh, and we're also at reigoddesses and all the social. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, folks. Monique Holm, incredible lady. Absolutely loved her story, her energy, and her passion for helping women invest in real estate. Can't wait to have her back on the show. Okay. Major key. If you're unhappy, change it. Simple as that. Don't wait. Change it. If the doctor tells you you're going to need surgery and you're just happy because you don't have to go back to work, well, it's time for a change. Life is just too short. All right. If you're ready for that change and ready to take action, partner with us on our next passive real estate deal. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. Until next time, folks, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.